John Wilkes Booth awoke Good Friday morning, April 14, 1865, hungover and depressed. The Confederacy was dead. His cause was lost and his dreams of glory over. He did not know that this day, after enduring more than a week of bad news and bitter disappointments, he would enjoy a stunning reversal of fortune. No, all he knew this morning, when he crawled out of bed in room 228 of the National Hotel, one of Washington's finest and naturally his favorite, was that he could not stand another day of Union victory celebrations. Booth assumed that April 14th would unfold as the latest in a blur of 11 bad days that began on April 3rd, when Richmond, the Confederacy citadel, fell to the Union. The very next day, the tyrant, Abraham Lincoln, visited his captive prize and had the audacity to sit behind the desk occupied by the first and last president of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis. Then, on April 9th at Appomattox Courthouse, Robert E. Lee and his glorious army of Northern Virginia surrendered. Two days later, Lincoln made a speech proposing to give blacks the right to vote, and last night, April 13th, all of Washington celebrated with the grand illumination of the city. And today, in Charleston Harbor, the Union planned to stage a gala celebration to mark the retaking of Fort Sumter, where the war began four years ago. These past 11 days had been the worst of Booth's young life. He was the son of the legendary actor and tragedian Junius Brutus Booth, and brother to Edwin Booth, one of the finest actors of his generation. Twenty-six years old, impossibly vain, preening, emotionally flamboyant, possessed of raw talent and elan, and a star member of the celebrated theatrical family, the Barrymores of their day, John Wilkes Booth was willing to throw away fame, wealth, and promise for his cause. Handsome and charismatic, he was instantly recognizable to thousands of fans in both the North and the South. His physical beauty astonished all who beheld it. A fellow actor once described him. Picture to yourself Adonis, with high forehead, sweeping black hair, a figure of perfect youthful proportions, and the most wonderful black eyes in the world. Such was John Wilkes Booth. At all times, his eyes were his striking features, but when his emotions were aroused, they were like living jewels. Booth's passions included fine clothing, delectable women, and the romance of lost causes. Booth's day began in the dining room of the National, where he was seen eating breakfast with Miss Carrie Bean. Nothing unusual about that. Booth a voluptuous connoisseur of young women never had trouble finding female company. Around noon, he walked over to Ford's Theater on 10th Street between E and F, a block above Pennsylvania Avenue, to pick up his mail. Accepting correspondence on behalf of itinerant actors was a customary privilege Ford's offered to friends of the house. Earlier that morning, Henry Clay Ford, one of the three brothers who ran the theater, ate breakfast, and then walked to the big marble post office at 7th and F and picked up the mail. There was a letter for Booth. That morning, another letter arrived at the theater. 
There had been no time to mail it, so its sender, Mary Lincoln, used the president's messenger to bypass the post office and hand deliver it. The Fords did not even have to read the note to know the good news it contained. The mere arrival of the White House messenger told them that the president was coming tonight. It was a coup against their chief rival, Grover's Theater, which was offering a more exciting entertainment, Aladdin or his wonderful lamp. Master Tad Lincoln and Chaperone would represent the family there. The letter, once opened, announced even greater news. Yes, the President and Mrs. Lincoln would attend this evening's performance of Tom Taylor's popular, if tired, comedy, Our American Cousin. But the big news was that General Ulysses S. Grant was coming with them. The Lincoln's timing delighted the Fords. Good Friday was traditionally a slow night, and news that not only the President, after four years a familiar sight to Washingtonians, but also General Grant, a rare visitor to town and fresh from his victory at Appomattox, would attend, was sure to spur ticket sales.